<laughs> all right, let's get started, guys. No fancy uh, fall-to-roll. Uh, Sean Steele here, and uh, grateful and glad that everybody's joined us. This is a complete radical new experiment. We usually telephonically. Uh, the good news is uh, this is uh, we limited to just a few friends that we know rather well to uh, get this thing going forward. Uh, we're, we're really lucky to have a uh, spectacular doctor that we've known for some time. But um, I wanted to uh, uh, invite everybody. We're going to see if we like this. Uh, we've got a Dennis Beaver with us today. He's been writing uh, formidable articles pro chiropractic. He's a lawyer in Bakersfield, but he writes uh, pieces about what we're doing, and he gets it published in Kiplinger and numerous newspapers all over the country uh, with a very strong uh, pro chiropractic uh, uh, understanding. So today, I've, I've asked Dr. Ali Najafi to join us. Now, he's, you know, don't let his looks uh, betray him. Uh, he, he's, he's a good-looking guy, uh, but he's really from Bakersfield, and now he's from Bakersfield and, uh, and Newport Beach. And so I've heard of Dr. Najafi for several years now as a formidable, effective uh, neurosurgeon on two levels. One, great outcomes with patients and conservative, very conservative uh, surgeon. Uh, actually, he doesn't do surgery for most of the patients that he sees initially. And then secondly, he's got a good courtroom demeanor. And in my business, that's a big deal. You want a doctor who can communicate effectively to the jury about what the, necess the necessity of the surgery was and why it's, a, why it's a big deal and a life-changing experience for the patient. So, Dr. Ali, tell us something about yourself and your background, please. Uh, I'm a board-certified neurosurgeon, 56 years young. I have been doing uh, neurosurgery since 2001, so almost 20 years. And uh, I specialize mainly in spinal surgeries, as you said, you know, very uh, conservative when it comes to surgery. Um, and uh, I reside in Newport Beach and practice in uh, Orange County as well as in the Central Valley where I go back and forth. Um, and when did you uh, finally get down to Orange County? Uh, about three years ago. Okay. Uh, that's something that was, uh, Dr. Shadi introduced me to you and, and I'm grateful that you're in Newport Beach, but uh, we have clients all over California. We have chiropractors from all over California. That uh, that's important. And my struggle in life, Doctor Ali, is to find pro chiropractic MDs. Find an MD that will appreciate the history of chiropractic, that'll understand its philosophy and its frankly its reticence for surgery and and drugs, uh, and and appreciate that. Uh, and, and too many medical doctors don't spend the time, the effort, or the energy to care. I mean, it's just a matter of simple caring, uh, and and you have that. You've embraced that, and and I'm grateful for that. Um, tell me, typically, you'll get patients with uh, acute back pain, many of many of whom uh, had a had a trauma weeks or months before they come into your office. So, in a way, you're sort of the last resort. Uh, they've tried everything. They've tried therapies and acupuncture and chiropractic. What are some of the things that you look for in a patient that is either uh, surgical or not surgical? For example, let, let me go this way. You get a patient from a chiropractor and they're in acute distress, uh, but you don't think they're surgical. 
what's a protocol? Why, why would you not want to do surgery on a patient that's got back pain? Uh, well, we have to see the etiology where the back pain is coming from. Uh, first of all, the uh, uh, 95% of quote-unquote back pain is non-surgical. If it's acute, which is a musculoskeletal, it should uh, improve within several weeks with uh, chiropractic care, with rest, and some anti-inflammatory medications. And and with certain uh, exercises to improve the uh, acute back pain, that majority is musculoskeletal. Uh, if it uh, lingers more than several weeks, that's when it should be worked up. So the question is, is the pain from a facet? Uh, is it a pain from the disc itself? Uh, does it have a radicular component, which means you know, pain radiating to the legs, causing numbness, weakness. Uh, so uh, to differentiate those, uh, I'm sure that uh, the chiropractic colleagues would be able to uh, address those. If it's a facet pain, you know, you can do a lot of uh, traction in addition to uh, uh, anti-inflammatory medications and uh, with some therapy to improve the facet pain. If it's... Uh, uh, radicular pain uh, due to a disc herniation, then one would uh, notice that if somebody has got pain in the back going to the legs and it's one-sided with some numbness and weakness, so that's definitely radicular, which means a nerve impingement that's causing the pain. And if it's discogenic, uh, one would know that, you know, they've tried everything else to rule out uh, musculoskeletal strain, and it's just deep, nagging, achy, low back pain that never goes away. It doesn't get better at rest, doesn't get better laying down or standing. So that's more of a discogenic pain. And uh, the best is for an, when a neurosurgeon or a spine surgeon evaluates uh, uh, somebody with back pain is to have some sort of imaging. Uh, and MRI is obviously the gold standard. And uh, based on the MRI, based on the history that the patient gives us, based on the previous treatments that they've had, then we will be able to sort out, is this a pain that is surgical or what the etiology of the pain is? Basically, finding out where the pain generator is so we can then guide and have a plan of treatment to, one, diagnose where the pain generator is, and two, uh, treat it. If we think the pain is facet-related, uh, uh, a lot of the uh, traumas that we see uh, are strains of the muscles in addition to the ligaments. And the ligaments are what uh, hold the joints together. And if you have a ligamentous injury to the neck and the back, so that kind of causes uh, facet injury, and then uh, it may cause facet pain. Well, let me ask you, 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 you struck me with a big number. Are you saying that 90% of the patients that see you, you don't want to do any surgery with? Well, as far as the quote-unquote back pain itself, you know, the, it's actually the second uh, uh, cause of office visits besides the common cold. And uh, 80% of the population, by the time they're 50 or 60 years old, they're going to have back pain. So it's very, very common. And so, uh, and as I said, the uh, majority of them are musculoskeletal, 95%. The 5% are 
that are not, then we have to see, is it from the facet, is it from a nerve impingement or from the disc, or there's other ideologies, uh, you know, the infection and uh, instability and uh, um, uh, scoliosis and so on. So, yeah, uh, out of that 5% that are uh, non-musculoskeletal, uh, then uh, if they, they then their symptoms linger, and that's when one should... Uh, want to get an MRI to see uh, basically what the pain generator is. And also when, you, when you get an MRI of somebody that are, you know, more than 50 years old, you know, 90% of the time you're going to find multi-level discs that are degenerated. You're going to find facets are, that are worn out. Sometimes the alignment may be off. So the question becomes, again, what's the pain generator and what uh, a surgeon or um, pain management specialist can formulate to figure out the pain generator to treat it. And, and uh, rarely uh, the, uh, uh, these uh, back pains per se are surgical. Ah, I, I, you know what? That, that's good news to me. Uh, I, I've, I found re- relatively few neurosurgeons, orthopedists, that I have a lot of confidence in. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, when I put you up on the screen here with the chiropractors all over California, you know, you, you come in, you know, very, very well, uh, uh, good, strong reputation. How, if you got a pain that might, a patient that might be surgical and they've suffered, you know, it's turned chronic, it's been at least three months in trauma. Generally, What's the length of time before you would actually do a surgery? I've, I've, and I'm going to, it's a loaded question, but I've seen good doctors, good surgeons wait a long time, surprisingly to me. They, they, they want everything else. They want the patient to try every non-interventional procedure possible. How, how do you, how, what do you suggest to patients that come in there? They're in a lot of pain. They're open to having surgery, but you don't do it, and how do you explain it to them that they need to do other things first? Definitely. So the the diagnosis is very important to figure out what uh, the cause of the pain is, and that's a whole process that one goes through, especially uh, initially evaluated and treated by a, a chiropractors and. And if, if it's uh, musculoskeletal, then definitely that's something that they address. If, even if it's uh, facet or disc related with a lot of traction, uh, uh, I've seen a lot of improvements. So by the time they get to me, uh, they have failed those. So then what based on the imaging and based on getting the examination and the history, then we determine what type of a pain is it? Is it a nerve pain? Is it a mechanical back pain? Is it discogenic? Is it due to the facet? And there are tools to uh, diagnose those and treat those besides surgery. If we think the pain is due to a facet-related uh, pain, you know, usually gets worse with extension, uh, usually uh, gets better with traction. If it's discogenic, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, in flexion and extension. It's just going to be constant. If it's radicular, which means a nerve impingement, it clearly has radicular components, you know, quote-unquote sciatica that everybody's talking about with some numbness, weakness, or some pain going down to the legs. And uh, so depending on what the pain generator is, then we uh, 
foresee a plan. If it's a facet pain, first thing we do is we do what's called a facet injection. There's facet uh, rhizotomies, there's facet blocks that we perform to see whether that would improve patient's symptoms. And if they do do so, then there's other measures to improve the facet pain for a longer period of time. Uh, for example, we can do what's called an endoscopic facet rhizotomy. That's just another way to uh, block the nerves that go to the facet to relieve uh, pain. How, major, how, how extensive of a surgery are, is that procedure? Uh, it's, it's actually a very minimally invasive operation. Uh, the pain management doctors do what's called RF or radiofrequency ablation. So basically, they use an x-ray machine. They put a probe and they go right around the nerve around the joint where the uh, nerve endings are around the joint, they kind of heat it up. And that definitely helps with blocking the nerve to send, send the information to the brain, you know, to perceive pain. And that's why um, if initially, if we put some lidocaine into the joint and the patient says, I got great relief for two, three, four hours, and we know that's where the pain's coming from. And then the next thing to do is to do an RF, uh, radiofrequency ablation of the facade. And, uh, Another procedure is a minimally invasive surgery. It would be an endoscopic uh, procedure where we go around the joint, we find a nerve, and we literally block it. And that operation uh, improves back pain for a longer period of time. Our is, procedures is, do is help. it still temporary? Is it considered a, a temporary measure most of the outcomes or some long-term value? The uh, uh, endoscopic ablation of the nerve of the facet lasts at least one year or even longer versus if, if we do an RF, it usually lasts between two to three months. It has to be repeated. So uh, there's advantages or disadvantages. The disadvantage of RF is that we have to do it two, three times uh, a year. Uh, the advantage is, you know, you don't make an incision versus the endoscopic procedure. You have to make an incision, put an endoscope in, find the nerve, and literally uh, block it. But uh, the results last a lot longer. So uh, that would be uh, pretty much basic treatment for somebody who has facet pain. And the facet pain happens whether it's traumatic due to uh, the injury of the ligaments that hold the uh, joint together, or traumatic on top of degenerative. As we all get older, our facets have been overloading for many, many years for many reasons, whether we do sports, we do bending, lifting, sitting, and so on. So um, there is always arthritis or degenerative changes within the facet. So uh, and it just takes, uh, let's say, a whiplash or flexion accession injury or compression injury, depending on what the mechanism of the accident is, to basically strain those ligaments around the facet and make it more make it symptomatic. Well, uh, it, I'm, I'm always worried about bad outcomes too, and even in you make uh, the the, uh, the radio frequency and the other procedures. Is there a percentage of there's got to be a percentage of uh, misadventures where um, the work uh, doesn't go as intended and there's some nerve damage. How rare is that? Is that a 1%, 5% or what, what are the stats on that? For uh, uh, treating facet pain with injections or endoscopic uh, ablation, yes. uh, there's really no uh, injury to the uh, uh, nerves per se. Uh, but 
if we are treating uh, a nerve pain due to a disc herniation, for example, then there, the procedures would be a nerve block. So if somebody comes and if I think they don't have any radicular components, you know, their pain is mainly axial. It worse, it, it gets better with laying down. It's worse with, you know, uh, bending, lifting, and twisting. And so when I see an MRI, there's a lot of uh, facet uh, degenerative changes, uh, then then I would think, you know, let's treat them for that to see whether it gets better. So if they get better with the facet block, we know that's where the pain is. And then we continue to discuss the treating the facet pain. If it doesn't get better, then there's a disc bulge, there's a nerve impingement. So the question is, is this discogenic or is it uh, due to nerve impingement? And if they have some radicular component, you know, saying that the pain is in the back, also goes in the back of my leg towards the feet. So depending on where the pain is and the side of the disc herniation is, then we do what's called a nerve block, uh, which means that we use an X-ray machine, we put a catheter right against the nerve around where the disc bulge is, and we go through the foramen. It's called a transforaminal nerve block. And uh, if we then see a disc herniation on the side of the uh, L4L5, for example, on the left, the patient has back and left leg pain, we do a transforaminal block on the left at the L4L5, their pain, improves significantly, then we know that this is more of a, a disc herniation with nerve impingement causing radicular pain. So uh, we do usually repeat those two to three times. And for the most, 80-90% of patients with these type of epidural injections should improve significantly to the point that when we send them back to the chiropractor to do some strengthening of the muscles and the core muscles and, and rehab them, that they would not need any surgical treatments. That that would be good. I, I haven't had that much uh, success. I found, uh, I'm just going to give you a very rough gift, uh, maybe 50% uh, epidurals with, with the patients that I've served over the years seem to get epidural relief and, and 50% don't. And, uh, but I haven't, but believe me, it's the most unscientific stat you've ever heard. We've got a lot of smart doctors on the phone. Doctors, you have any questions? for a, a wonderful certified uh, neurosurgeon that you'd like to ask. This is your chance. He's here. We got him. He's not going anywhere. Uh, they locked the door in his office. Uh, so if you have any questions, now's the time to do it. I've got a couple of more questions. But uh, just uh, go ahead and uh, I, I unmute yourself and talk away. Hi, this is Dr. Linda, and I wonder what you do for stenosis. Great question. Uh, stenosis, the question is, is it a central stenosis uh, causing uh, neurogenic claudications? Is it a what we call a lateral uh, stenosis, which means around where the nerve's exiting? Uh, and for those two, there's, uh, you know, different procedures that we do. If it's particularly lateral recess stenosis, and that's usually uh, due to the combination of uh, ligamentous overgrowth, uh, you know, osteophytes, facet overgrowth, in addition to a disc bulge or herniation. So for that, uh, the uh, procedure would be just what we call a laminotomy or facetectomy and foraminotomy. And, and with that, I mean we uh, shave off the uh, part of the ligaments that are overgrown, uh, part of the uh, facet, as well as if the disc herniation is significant, remove some of the disc as well 
to decompress the nerve root as it exits through the foramen. If it's a central stenosis, then uh, patients may or may not have any back pain, but uh, their symptoms get better with, you know, leaning forward. They say, oh, I go to the grocery store, I hold the grocery cart, my pain goes away. I uh, stand up, I go back a little bit in extension, I get pain going down my legs or get achiness and I can't walk for long periods of time. So uh, for that, uh, there are less invasive procedures that we do. Uh, one of them would be, for example, interspinous uh, devices that we put in that kind of causes local uh, flexion, uh, if you will, between the two spinous processes we go, we put this device and then we expand it. So it literally uh, puts that segment in flexion where it opens up the uh, uh, spinal canal and the, all the infolding of the ligaments that are going into the spinal canal are then uh, removed and uh, uh, partially, it, it's flexed, and then that causes uh, relief of the neurogenic claudications. And sometimes we put those devices between the spinous process in addition to shave off some ligament. Uh, sometimes we put that device without doing so. Either way, it should give the patients with mild to moderate uh, central or foraminal stenosis relief for at least two to three years. So that's a very uh, least invasive procedure that we do. Literally takes, you know, 15 minutes as an outpatient. Uh, if there's severe stenosis due to ligamentous and facet hypertrophy, then obviously laminectomy or laminotomy with or without discectomy is something that uh, we offer um, uh, as surgeons should relieve their radiculopathy. Uh, Doctor, I've got, I've got, uh, we've only got a, eight more minutes and uh, got a bunch of questions we're getting from uh, other doctors uh, that are uh, chat, using the chat room. One is the differentiation between a microdistectomy and a fusion, uh, in terms of intrusiveness and B, in terms of cost and in terms of recovery. Oh, of course. So, uh, they're totally two different operations. Uh, I do both. And microdiscectomy is a good operation for just uh, radicular symptoms. Uh, so if you have a fragment, if you have a particular just uh, protrusion uh, that is against the nerve and the patients have unilateral symptoms related that to particular nerve that you have tested, either where you do a nerve studies, ENG nerve conduction velocities that shows that uh, patient symptoms correlates with the level of the disc herniation. In addition to that, you've done some transforaminal injections, which partially improve the radicular symptoms and the symptoms come back due to the size of the disc herniation. Then uh, a microdiscectomy is uh, definitely the surgery that uh, should relieve symptoms. If somebody comes with use this bulge with just a lot of back pain without a radicular component, microdiscectomy is not the operation that would help them. Uh, it actually uh, may weaken the disc further and it may uh, cause their back pain worse. That's something that needs to be worked up uh, uh, thoroughly. And the way I do it, uh, if they fail the epidurals and, and we know the facade is not an issue, especially if they're a young person with a diffuse disc bulge. And what I do, if there's multiple discs that have similar findings, then I do what's called the discogram. And the discogram is uh, a study that we do where we put a needle in the disc, we change the pressure of the disc by putting a certain amount of fluids in it. And then we correlate the uh, recreation of the patient's symptoms depending of 
that uh, that particular desert we're doing testing on. And we also see if there is any extravasation of uh, the dye that we put in the disc in, from the disc into the, where the nerves are uh, or in spinal canal. So that means there is a cer certain tear of the disc uh, of the annulus that causes uh, incompetence and the leakage of the uh, uh, dye um, into the spinal canal. So there are different degrees of annular tear that we can determine based on the, the discogram. We also do a CT scan afterwards to look and see where the uh, material is going in the spinal canal. And based on that, if somebody has a positive discogram, I have a lot of back pain, I do not do a microdiscectomy. I do either fusion or disc replacement, and that's a totally different operation. All right, last question, or last bit, yeah, last question. The age-old problem, orthopedist versus neurosurgeons, back surgery. Who's better? Who's got better trained? Uh, you might be biased. Well, well I mean, the. The advantage of uh, as a neurosurgeon is that our training is seven or eight years, and during those seven or eight years, we're ex exposed to uh, the nerves and the spine from day one. Versus an orthopedic surgeon, they have to go through five years of general orthopedics where they learn everything about the joints and the long bones and so on, and then they have to do uh, one year of uh, what we call a fellowship to go somewhere and learn about the spine. And uh, depending of, you know, the level of training and when they come out, in my experience, it takes another five or 10 years for them to feel comfortable to treat spine and have enough experience versus, a, you know, a neurosurgeon that comes right out of their training, they've been exposed to spinal surgery at least seven years. Mm. And, you know, things happen in the spine, for example, the dural tear, you know, you have the nerves exposed, uh, any other injury around the nerves, we're very comfortable to deal with that. But at the same time, I have great orthopedic colleagues that I uh, have <laughs> respect to and uh, would have them do back surgery on me. So it, it mm -hmm. depends on the experience and, and uh, training. Well, you don't seem to have any access to grind. I, I appreciate it. How does one contact uh, your offices to make a referral to you? How, do, how does one get their patient to see you? Uh, there's my website and, uh, you know, there's a number to call to schedule uh, 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 visits at the different offices, whether it's in Orange County, LA, or in the Central Valley. Okay. Uh, well, you're, you know, you're, they can also reach me and uh, doesn't need to be my case, but I'll be happy to forward the information to, con to contact you uh, you directly. Uh, last question is, Dr. Shadi is a very good friend of ours. Uh, she's a chiropractor and active practice. Uh, and she's the one that made the introduction. Have you worked with chiropractors uh, before uh, you met Dr. Shadi? Hey, of course, I have a lot of friends who are chiropractors. A lot of my referrals are from chiropractors. And, uh, and we send the patients back to them after our initial evaluation and uh, even with an injection or two when they're getting better we then send them back to the chiropractor to further improve their core strengthening and make sure that uh, uh, their um, uh, muscles are rehabbed and uh, you know just everybody needs a baseline chiropractic treatment as we get older to prevent injury well, that's that's actually beautiful, and that's that that's really good news. And 
I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, given the, um, given what's going on with technology and, and the radical improvements in medicine, can you give us one uh, change that you anticipate for uh, back pain in the future from, from a neurosurgical point of view? Is there some new device that we should be thinking about? Uh, artificial disc are uh, something that I uh, uh, have had a lot of experience with, especially in the cervical spine and some in the lumbar spine. They are better choice than a fusion, especially uh, on young patients who don't have any uh, facet disease or joint disease and want to retain motion. Uh, that's one thing. Other things that is coming in the pipeline, but not in the U.S., it's more in Europe, is repairing the disc itself, uh, basically trying to strengthen the nucleus pulposus and the uh, annulus to uh, via stem cells or other injectable materials to restore disc height. Uh, that's uh, much less invasive. Uh, so those are the things that in the next five, 10 years will uh, revolutionize the spine surgery. We had a, a sophisticated patient that liked the artificial discs that uh, went to Germany to get a procedure. She couldn't find uh, any any really group of doctors, and she looked uh, in California, which I, I was stunned, and she paid cash. Uh, it was that important to her. And she, yeah, uh, for she example, seems to have had a good outcome. Yeah, definitely. In 2003, uh, similarly, I had a lot of neck pain, no radicular symptoms. It was just discogenic, and in the U.S., there was no artificial disc. So I flew to Bordeaux, France. I found an orthopedic surgeon, and I received the artificial disc, and flew back and went back to work. So I uh, wow. in the uh, uh, artificial <laughs> Crazy. Well, on that, on that happy note and the very interesting predictions for the future, Doctor, we'll look forward to working with you again. We'll be looking at your work. Uh, you now have another friend that in your toolkit, uh, probably somebody uh, I think is worth traveling to. You don't find a lot of great surgeons. Uh, that are this accessible and this knowledgeable uh, and also pro-chiropractic. appreciate everybody uh, tuning in today. Uh, Alex and I will be with you uh, next uh, month with another outstanding speaker. Alex, do you know? Why don't you come over here so people can see what you look like. Who's, who's our speaker next month? I don't know. It's a surprise. Uh, Alex, a surprise speaker. Nobody knows who they are except yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex is going to keep it a surprise. So you open up your emails. Uh, what we have is uh, Alex got a little uh, background for us and so make sure you know who, who I am. Uh, he'd like to see his name on that one day, but I think he has to earn it. Uh, but look, we've had a lot of fun. Dr. Ali, thank you very much. Dr. Shadi, appreciate everything. And uh, folks, we're going to disconnect and wish you a blessed day.